Hello and welcome to this, the 41st episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar and this second series is brought to you thanks to the very generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. Now each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We have promised that we won't ever charge for this podcast but we are looking for you to support Irish theatre and to put your money into Irish theatre. Put your money where your mouth is. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And the simplest, easiest, best, most efficient and effective way to support is, of course, to go and buy yourself some tickets. Get out there, support what's going on near you, buy yourself some tickets to some live theatre. It is the most straightforward way to go about it, and as I always say, you're not just doing good for the theatre industry, you're getting yourself a nice little night out to go along with it, so everything works out well for everybody. But look, if tickets are slightly outside your reach this week or this month, maybe go on over to one of the crowdsourcing websites, the fundit.ies, the Indiegogos of the world, see if there's a theatre project over there looking for your support, and see what you can do to help them out. Donations often start from as low as a fiver, and there are always great rewards in return for that support, but there are ways you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast, whether that's in person, over a cup of coffee, or over a pint, or by sharing the link as a Facebook post, or retweeting on Twitter, or posting on Instagram, or whatever other platform you might be on. The bigger the platform we can get for the podcast, the bigger the platform we can provide for our guests that we bring on, and help spread the word about them and the work they are creating. Do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes, but these podcasts are, of course, streamable and available for direct download at riseproductions.ie it's also available on podbean and acast and all those other podcast hosting hosting places you might find them go back and listen to all the other episodes there's great episodes in the second series and also there's 52 crackers back there in series one well worth going in for a, a deep dive on some of your theater favorites please do leave us a review on itunes if you're an itunes user that's a massive help to us uh, or even just simply click to rate us on their five-star rating system that's a one-click deal it is two seconds out of your day that again would be much appreciated you you can, of course, follow us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. So it's been another busy week at Rise Towers. I spent the weekend, as you know, in London and uh, had a fantastic time. Got to see a huge heap of theatre, which made me very happy. Got to see The Lieutenant of Inish Moor, which I was really, really impressed with. I'd seen a production of it maybe 15 years ago here in Dublin and kind of wasn't all that pushed about it I kind of thought okay it's some kind of pseudo Tarantino gratuitous violence kind of funny but it just all felt a bit meh but then to see it now at 20 years of a remove from the peace process here in Ireland to see a show that's cracking hilarious gags about terrorist bombs you can kind of see it in a different light this at this much of a remove now also you know, the fact that we're 20 years into the peace process here in Ireland is one thing. To see that in a jam-packed house in the middle of London city centre making jokes about terrorist bombing is a very different kettle of fish. And suddenly I kind of saw the play for what I think it really is, which is this really subversive and biting satire 
on uh, terrorism and radicalization and fanaticism and all the stuff that goes along with that. And I and also it's freaking hilarious. I had a great time at the theatre. Really loved it. So much of a great cast there doing so much great stuff. The great Dinny Conway, of course. Ado Turner's there making his West End debut. Um, Charlie Murphy's there being brilliant. Will Irvine. So many heads there just doing really, really great work. It was fantastic to go and see. And then, of course, the following night I went to the National and I saw Translations. Now, as I've gone on about an awful lot in the past, Translations is hands down my favourite play ever written. I am firmly convinced it is the greatest play ever written. No one is going to be able to change my mind on that. I guess that might be the tenth time I've seen Translations in about seven or eight different productions. And it was nothing short of phenomenal, is the only way to talk about it. It was the purest I had seen any production ever let the, I guess, aching beauty of the language and the poetry of the language really sing so clearly. Uh, it was just phenomenal. I, look, as the house lights went down before the show started, I was already in tears. So that'll tell you how how predisposed I was to enjoying it but it was incredible just thoroughly enjoyed it the great Judith Roddy just being an absolute superstar as ever uh, Kieran Hines being brilliant Aoife Duffin there just rocking it out so many great performances from so many great heads and the idea that it's been playing on that stage for as long as it has in the national in England uh, to absolutely sold out houses like you could not get a ticket for love or money for that show um, is something really quite phenomenal and is a testament to the legacy of how exceptionally brilliant Brian Friel was there's no two ways about it uh, it's, it's it's really a remarkable thing and I had a fantastic time now interestingly when I came home uh, I went up to my parents house because we were dropping my mum back and my parents are going through a lot of the stuff that would have come from my granny's house the great Ronnie Masterson who was a guest on series one and of course the stuff coming from Ronnie's house would have stuff that came from Ray's house my granddad Ray McAnally and one of the things that they found going through the stuff which they have now given to me is Ray's original rehearsal script from the original 1980 production of Translations, and I am just blown away to have it there with his handwritten notes, stage directions, everything in from that production. Uh, It's something phenomenal to have and uh, something I will treasure very, very dearly. But look, speaking of that production of Translations, that brings us to our guest this week, because starring in that show was none other than the brilliant Lawrence Kinlan, uh, who did a phenomenal job in the show playing Dolty. Really, like, spectacular casting to begin with, but really a cracking job on it. And Lars a great guy who's been around for an awful long time, done a huge amount of work and a broad spread of work. And just, again, just a really interesting guy. So, look, let's get straight into it here. Here he is, the brilliant Lars Kinlan. The wonderful Lark in and live and direct in London, England. How the hell are you, my friend? I'm very well, live and direct from the National Theatre dressing room. I'm telling you, man, we finally made it. We've made it. This is the real deal. Um, right, let's get to the very beginning. I always bang on about being deadly because I started at 15. You can beat me, though, can't you? I can, just about, though. <laughs> I think it was maybe... I was 14, but I'm trying to think what month it would have been. I think it was maybe February, so it was early. I was, oh, okay. I, I'd only... Oh, it was March, so I just turned 14, so it was nearly 13. And what, what, <laughs> man, that's ridiculous. Um, what was the first gig for you? First gig was a Channel 4 film that um, Alan Bleasdale did called Soft Sand Blue Sea. Oh, yeah. With um, the wonderful Brendan Coyle. Yes. Um, Julia Ford and um, um, Father Jack. 
Oh, brilliant. Frank Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me this, as a 13-year-old kid landing that audition, clearly you weren't a rad a graduate. How the hell did you get even seen for it in the first place? Well, I, I the local, I, you know, as you know, I grew up in the inner city, so we were um, there were lots of clubs based around town to keep people out of trouble and all sorts right. where I grew up. Um, so I went um, to the Belvedere Youth Club. And we yes. used to go there every day from around 3 to 5 for the younger group, and then it was 5 to 7 for the older group. Um, and I used to go there to play football every day with all my mates who ended up playing League of Ireland. My best mate Derek, captain of Bowes, and Wes Houlihan, Ireland player. And um, so, I mean, loads of great things come out of it. Um, but what they did have in there was a drama section that I was never involved in. I just wasn't. In, it wasn't for me. Because um, soccer was for the cool people, the drama was for the nerds. Yeah. And, and sometimes if we we're hungry, we go down and do a bit of cooking uh, <laughs> <laughs> and bake some cakes. Um, yeah, and I uh, there was a guy there working um, at the Belvedere Youth Club called Tony Ferns, who was involved with some agency in town at the time. I don't know who they were, um, but he had heard of an open casting for a film. And he tried to round up a few of the kids on a hot summer's day, because I don't, actually don't think the club was open in the summer. I remember, oh, we had just gotten back from Forty Foot. We went right. out swimming, and uh, he was trying to round up a few kids um, to go to go for an audition. And we all talked, right? Because they, at the time, they just shot, I think, in the name of the Father or the Boxer, one of those movies behind our uh, behind our um, house on the, on one of the streets. And we all thought we might get the chance to be an extra. They pay twenty five quid. Let's go. That's free money. That's yeah, free money. <laughs> Um, and I went along, there was about seven of us, and we went up to, over to the IFI, and, and the lovely Ron, or Roz and um, John Hubbard were casting, and uh, they gave me sides, Mary Maguire actually at the time, yeah. who, who worked for um, Hubbard's, they gave me some sides to read, and I thought, oh, I'm going to read something. I had no problem with reading, that wasn't the problem, it was that I had to act reading. <laughs> I, just, I just thought I could be here and have yeah, a crack. I hadn't never done it before. <laughs> I thought they'd see my face and go, yeah, he could, we could use him. Little, a little, yeah, little scruff in the back. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I read it. I, um, they called me back in a few, they said, why don't you wait outside? I, come back, I went out and I come back in and then out over about two or three days, as the numbers were whittling yeah. down, um, I got a phone call well my nan got a phone call because we didn't have a phone in the house at the time right I remember we did but we obviously didn't pay the bill because <laughs> at one point I remember my mum having one of those do you remember people had pay phones in yes, their house yes they do very well but sure we had the key off it so <laughs> we were taking it and going around and buying little ice pops <laughs> so uh, so the bills were never getting paid um, so my nan got a phone call and they said we need to get in contact with him um, um, quickly and yeah I, I got the lead role I was cast number one wow. in my first ever acting job. I'd never done it before. That's and the way to start off, really. It was a bit bizarre, yeah. Wow. So, you know, being picked up in nice Mercedes cars, having my own trailer, getting my lunch brought to me. It was uh, <laughs> it was nice. It's quite, it's quite an experience, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? I, like, I remember, so like, again, it's me starting off at 15, and you know, one day you're on set with fucking Donald McCann and Pierce Brosnan, yeah. and like that in the trailer the whole day. But then the next day you're back at school and they're going, hey, do up your top button where's your toy did you find it hard just back to real life I hated that part of it because I had to have a tutor on set oh yeah and I was nearly in every scene if you you, you'll probably see it eventually over time but um, I was in every scene so when I did have little breaks and as you know like filming can be tiring and a lot of time the waiting around is more tiring but um, I just hated going in after doing all my scenes and having to sit with a tutor and do a history class in my trailer while 
everyone else was out having the crack. <laughs> um, I hated it, so that got harder over time for yeah. sure. And uh, yeah, it was only it was about two, two or three years after that. I think it was fifteen, maybe going at sixteen, that uh, I decided to leave. I was working so much. Yeah. That I just thought, I, 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 this is too much. It was too much for me. I actually hated the whole tutoring thing, and I left school with obviously the approval of my mum because I was working a lot. And, yeah. Um, they didn't. She didn't want to get in the way of the work at the time, and I because after the first one, I decided this is definitely what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, the money was too good, and it was. Uh, but I actually had a brilliant time. I remember, I remember when we wrapped the first on my first job, and actually first few jobs. I was still quite young. I used to cry. I was. Devastated leaving really? the crew. And I used to ring the crew up, and to this day, I'm still friends with a few of the crew that were on that first ever job. And what were you upset about? Like missing the gang, missing the crack, missing the work, missing all of us? Uh, a combination of all those things. Um, they become your family. Yeah. You know what I mean? They 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 look after you every day. And I mean, I was getting picked up at six in the morning and dropped home sometimes seven and eight at night. Like it was, I spent seven weeks or whatever it was with yeah. these people every single day. Um, yeah. They were so lovely to me as well because yeah. I was a kid. So, um, they want the best out of whatever you're doing, work and environment and all that. Um, and I just loved it. That I, I was absolutely heartbroken when it ended. And it because it, it did take off you very quickly. You say yeah. you were working constantly, working on really great stuff. Yeah. Um, how exciting was that? And were you then the coolest man in the world, swan around fifteen, sixteen, and go, well, I don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a movie star. Let's have a smooch. Because <laughs> like, it was never actually like that. I never thought of it like that, and it was never. My mates would never, they, they never let you get a big head. Yeah. And um, Irish people don't in general anyway. It's true. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was bizarre. It was certainly bizarre looking back on it. Yeah. In it, I had the best time in my life. Yeah. And I presume if you don't know any different, it just is what it is. That's just your life. You go, oh, that's what I do then. For sure, yeah. Like, I mean, I was, uh, the part I played was a, an orphan kid, which I wasn't, so I couldn't relate to that. But... He um, he had a troubled kind of childhood, and not that I did, but I was where I grew up. Like we, a thirteen-year-old kid in the inner city is like a twenty-eight-year-old person living in the suburbs because, yeah. just streetwise. I mean, you're just so streetwise. I mean, you're able to hide everything. People always say, "How are the parents not doing this?" You try and you try and get around any thirteen-year-old kid in the inner city. They're very streetwise. <laughs> um, so we we're able to hide so much and. Um, I was able to relate to a lot of the, the problems the kid had and um, so when I was reading my lines I was reading them like I was just talking to my ma or, yeah. or then relating to whatever character I'm speaking to like like my mate so I never really felt like I was acting yeah and I suppose that's what maybe got me the part or yeah that it was that natural that it was that it was natural yeah tell me about some of the exciting stuff from those early days uh, what were the big gigs what were the memorable moments from that well, that was obviously one of them, and I remember I was a big fan of Father Ted, so to get to work with Frank yeah. Kelly was huge, and, and then over time, you, uh, you watch movies and you get excited. I'm trying to think what was the big one after that. I, uh, one of the bigger ones after that was probably Saltwater, was yeah. Colin McPherson's directional debut with Peter MacDonald and Brian Cox, and that was brilliant. Like I yeah. had as good as a time I did on that, and I was getting older, um, and, and just to be around Connor, who to this day he still luckily employs me and, and is one of my really good friends so um, that was that was another step I felt like I felt like that was a bigger movie because obviously the first one was for TV yeah. that was for cinema um, and then you know doing the junket stuff for all yeah. that was just very bizarre um, and that's when you knew that things were changing 
Um, and then I got, I, I mean, look, I, I kept going. I get, I suppose, getting to, I'd done smaller bits on, on um, um, Everlasting Peace, getting yeah. up with Barry Levinson, who was Rain Man, you know, I was yeah. a huge fan of that. Um, Billy Connolly, you know. I mean, I still get excited about working yeah. with people. I get the buzz out of people, you know. Oh, it's not a cool thing to do. I don't care. <laughs> I love it. I still ask people for photos. Yeah. Because I love it. I'm, you know, that's uh, it's my world now. But well, I think it's important to be able to have the crack with it, isn't it? Yeah. And not get too fucking serious about things as well. For sure. I I just love it. I love everything about our business. I um, and still get excited. Um, yeah. So that was sort of a few early really exciting jobs, and then obviously the big one for me was got getting to uh, go to Australia and shoot for six months with Heath Ledger. So this is the Ned Kelly movie. Yeah. Um, that must have been an incredible time. Obviously, people now look at Heath Ledger as I guess to some extent there's a missed opportunity there because he had so much more in him. But the fact that we got these incredible performances while he was there, how did you find working with them? Brilliant. I mean. You hear, you know, when you hear about a good footballer, and you go, "I always knew when he was a kid," and yeah. I always go, "Bullshit!" Like they're they're playing with kids. You you, you have an idea, but they still gotta they yeah. still gotta play with adults. Yeah. Um, there was few people I've worked with where I go, "Oh wow, yeah, just to see do see a difference," and yeah. he was certainly one of them. Mm. And just before I'd done that movie, I uh, I'd done um, Veronica Guerin and. All my stuff was with Kate Blanchett, which was mm. amazing, and she was from St Kilda, so she helped me, you know, helped me kind of decide where I was going to stay. And I remember work, even working with her, thinking her Irish accent for mm. playing Veronica was so incredible. And 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 after her Heath was, I went, wow, he's got something really special. Yeah. But at, he was a very grounded young man. He he, you know, he wasn't too much older than me. It's funny because when I went over there, I always thought he was a man and I was a kid. Yeah. And um, but actually. A year after that, two years, we became really good mates. Obviously, because working together, you see that he was just a kid, really. Yeah. Um, but like immensely talented, and um, and the work and the and the effort he put into doing every single scene and was quite amazing, actually. It is something when you encounter those people, those kind of singular talents. Those really like there are people who just are. It, it's a, I don't. I can't even know if we can explain it, but it's it, there is a different quality to it, and you see it. You get a scene opposite, and you're going. Shit, this is a different deal here. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, you notice in theatre over 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 the years that the warm ups and and the, the prep that people need need to do or say they need to do. Yeah. I don't know about it all the time because when you work with absolutely le like legend of actors and kind of you, you see that their prep is very minimal and you go, I always wonder, do you need to do it? But I suppose whatever people are individuals, they need yeah. to do what they need to do to get somewhere. Um, but I always find that the, the people like Heath and Kieran Hines and all those people, I never see them. I never seen them like prep like yeah. the way you do. I, I don't know. Did they teach at a drama school? <laughs> to did you ever? Prep. Did it ever occur to you to go and train? Are you going? Look, clearly, if I've been doing it at this level for as long as I've been doing it, there's no need. I'm learning on the job, and I need to learn. And clearly, I have enough of the raw material there to be able to go and do it. I felt like I never needed to go. Uh, it's funny enough, over the years people always said maybe you should and I always thought, I, I don't really, I, I feel like the things I would be learning at drama school is the things I'm learning while I'm working. Yeah. Um, I, I worked with a director who, worked with an actor who went, then I went off to um, do drama school after they worked and they felt that drama school actually held them back a little bit. Yeah. And they, learnt, they picked up things that took, it took the natural ability away from them. Yeah. 
getting in their own way and stuff. Yeah, and and so I always held that then in my head that I thought, oh, you know what, just keep doing what you're doing. And yeah. hasn't, and wor- I, hasn't I, worked out too bad so yeah, far. Yeah, like I, I, I kept working, so I, I never felt like yeah. it, I just felt I didn't even have. The weird thing is, I didn't have time to go and do. Like I mean, in the early years when I started working from fourteen to like my mid twenties, I never really stopped. It was mental. That is crazy. And I actually we used to go in not not with cocky well maybe a little bit of cockiness but uh, I actually felt I believed that every audition I went in for that I'd get really because I was getting them all <laughs> I was very rarely torn down as a kid it was yeah. really weird it's what the harsh reality that is when you grow up and then you start to get the rejection and you spend all those days crying <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's kind of wild it did like did, did it get to a point then where you were no longer the go-to for okay. We need someone in kind of teenage years into early twenties. The go-to guy, Larkin, let's go and get him. Is it then that just as you grow up a bit, that there's just a bit more competition for parts? Is that the deal? I don't. I never really know. I mean, we all know actors who started really young and never really, they never continued. This yeah. something happened. That that was always my worry was that tr- transition from a child actor to a, an adult. I yeah. always worried about that because I'd seen it happen so often. Yeah. Um. But luckily enough for me, it just kind of. You know, it's been, maybe there is more comedy. I don't really know. Actually, I don't have the answer to that. I've yeah. always wondered. Maybe people lose an interest in it actually, and that's not. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look again. It's for me. Like, but just from early days, you're going. This is just what you want to do. Yeah. So you find a way to keep doing it. Yeah. You know. But yeah, I understand why people fall away. I mean, and as you get older, yeah. I mean, the thing is, you don't have too many. Um, Responsibilities when you're younger, either. This so, is also true. You know, when you when you grow up and you're living in a house on your own with your wife and two kids, and there's bills need to be paid. When when you used to get those six months of not working, they weren't an issue. Yeah. But when you're older and you have bills to pay, <laughs> kids to feed, feed, yeah. then that those worries. So I, you know, there has been times like don't get me wrong, like I've been really lucky enough at work and that I that I, that it, I've been you know plugging along. There has been times where I've thought. I think I'm going to give this up actually. Really? Yeah. Just for the security? Or? Just for the security, I think. Because I don't, I don't fall out of love with it. I still love it. I love yeah. doing it. I mean, you know, and many people know, I don't really like theatre. I don't like going to shows. I mean, like, I love doing them. Yeah. But I get bored very easy watching theatre. Some of it. Yeah. Actually, should I say most of it? Okay. But not some of it. Because yeah. I love writers like Martin McDonough. I love Enda Walsh, Conor McPherson, like modern day I love those writers and um, their work excites me and look I'm doing a frill now I'm loving doing this but I won't name any writers playwrights or but some plays just bore the whole of me bad theatre is very fucking tough to sit through yeah I mean my f- my f- the first ever play I seen was the weir in the gate okay the one that ended up transferring to Broadway and my second play was whistle in the dark with Don Witchley. Yeah, it's not a bad start. And then I, it was downhill after that because <laughs> I, I was kind of spoiled. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Let's talk some TV stuff because you were in what is, without question, the greatest Irish TV show of all time on home ground. You were also, <laughs> you were also in the greatest Irish TV show, the second greatest Irish TV show of all time, uh, Love, Hate. But let's go back to on home ground for a minute. That My greatest ambition in life was to be in on home ground and it was on while I was in drama school. I was going, I just need to, that just needs to last long enough for me to graduate and get into that show. Because I would, like, you know where you see people going into a soap and they do 25 years yeah. in a soap and you go, how could you do that? I swear to God, if on home ground were still going, I'd be in that fucking thing now. I would never have left the fucking door. 
I love that show more than life itself. I don't know why. I guess it was the combination of the gang and whatever else. It, just see it, it we loved that. Was that was a really fun gig to work on. Some amazing people. I mean, I never played gas as a kid. But I was a huge footballer, so it wasn't too hard to hold the ball in my hand. <laughs> Fans are going, shut up. I adored it, man. We played, to, we got to play football most days. Uh, Rory Keenan and Tom Von, or not Tom Von Lawler, Thomas O'Sullivan, who yeah. was a brutal player. Rory's good, though. Rory, can Rory was good. Rory was good. We had such good fun on that, um, and we never knew how long that was going to last. Yeah, I'll tell you exactly how long it lasted. Not long enough for me to be in the back. three the, years? I think you might have got three. I think it was the three years that I was in college. Was the three years that you mastered to do that? Well, show. the weird thing was, I don't know how long I was contracted for, but I. Had a bit of issues with them in the end because I uh, I got cast in Ned Kelly oh during fuck, yeah. during uh, the, the I don't know I think we do, we shot a first and or maybe we shot two but and then we we're gonna do a third and they replaced me actually with Michael Legg they we, we finally got out of it after wow um after long discussions oh, Jesus that's a tricky one um, but that was a tricky one yeah now you and the soccer is a big thing were you ever close to being good enough to do that nah. instead. Nah, never, never good enough. Actually, I go back to saying you know, people say when they see kids, they know. Wes Hillahan as a kid yeah. was outrageous. Really? I mean, he just made us all look stupid. Um, no, I mean, even some of my really good mates, like I said, that went on and played, had amazing careers in League of Ireland. I was never good enough. Really? Okay. Yeah. Close though. But I was all right. Yeah. I still think I'm a decent player. But you just no, you you just know. Yeah. Yeah, it is a different beast. Yeah. Let's talk love-hate, because we yeah. can't not. Um, how early on in the process of that did you know what you had on your hands? Um, I was good mates with Stuart for a long time. I'd done this play Defender of the Faith. In the Peacock? In the Peacock, yeah. I remember it. So Smashing someone with a shovel? That's right. There no, we go. Yeah, Jeremy McSorley, you don't want to do that to me. No, you, you don't. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, so I knew about the process of love hate. I knew that Stuart was gonna it was gonna be a movie at one point and right. um I knew he was going to talk to various sides of I mean he he basically researched the feck out of that show. Okay. And so I knew when he made it that he was gonna do a good job and he was gonna be true to each side, yeah. whatever. Um with anything you just never know what it's gonna be like. Yeah. I mean, looking back on it now, if I look at the first series now I'm nearly embarrassed by it. Right. Um, for many different reasons, I just thought it was weird. But anyway, look, it was the it, it was the driving force in, in terms of how where it went after that. Yeah. It was the catalyst, you know. Um, well, I don't know how I don't even know how well the first one actually did. The first series. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to actually look back on that because I don't because I don't I don't remember the 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 that kind of whole craze until mm. around maybe the third. That that feels like it might be about right. And then is is the magic I mean, like anything, it's gotta it's gotta have a snowball effect. Yeah. It's gotta get around. But but it did become, you know, what they call water cooler moments. It, like it was the thing of everyone in the country was watching the yeah. thing. Was that a mad time to be involved in it? Like was was there like secrecy over scripts and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, for sure. Like I think I did I miss the second series. I think I missed the second series. I was in New York doing Druid stuff. Oh, so yeah. um Stuart lucky enough for me kept my character alive um, had to give him a, <laughs> a few quid but uh, listen by any means he thought about killing me off for ages actually really I kept telling him no it was amazing but I had a great relationship with him I had and he was open to suggestions about ideas so um, I had a part to play in my own kind of survival in that show uh, but that wasn't well, I wanted to stick around I loved doing it and 
And the um, paycheck was nice, and the paycheck was all right. <laughs> Towards you, not that good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I certainly listen. When we got to do the third series, and we were filming that all over town, there were hundreds of people that used to turn up and wow. chase the, our vans down the streets to get photos with us. It was actually mental. Um, but the secrecy over scripts was yeah they were they need they, we done well we kept it under wraps for yeah. but like any big show there's going to be spoilers and yeah. um, I mean the the the, the la very last scene um, where Tom dies where Nidge dies I think I um, we're okay for spoilers now yeah, this, that, yeah this, dead think, now. there's been a few there's been a few years still people still ask me is Robbie really dead yeah I was with him the night before. <laughs> um, that I think about only ten people knew about that, okay. and I was one of them. Right. I knew, um, so we were sworn to secrecy on a lot of it. Um, but the the, cra the 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 show went places I never imagined it would. Yeah, and it was it was bizarre being in the middle of it all, um, and it kind of changed my life in a in a small way in terms of got a lot of free stuff and it was all deadly. Um, but at the same time, the other side of that is. I wonder now, looking back, does it have an effect on work I do now? In what way? Well, I feel like the work slowed down a little bit for a bit. Afterwards? Yeah, for a few of us, actually. I just think people just didn't want any actors out of love-hating anything. They were just... Oh, okay. Um, I never worried about getting typecast, but certainly with TV actors, you always wonder... Yeah. People might not want to cast them for a bit because they're a certain character. And, and so, I, yeah. If you're Elmo, you can't be handless, kind yeah. of thing. And I just thought I had an effect for a little while. Maybe not so much now. I'm happy working away again. And, but I, I did think I had an effect for a year or so. That's kind of wild. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy the process of making it? Did it feel good at the time? Oh, yeah. Listen, I, like, there's a few jobs that you come, you, you come off and go, and that was absolutely amazing. Yeah. For many reasons. The script writing was amazing. Stuart was amazing. Caffo was. It's just one of the best people to work with. He people, just, a lot of the actors who worked with him said, just as a director, he was just incredible. He's phenomenal. He, his relationship with every person is is um, quite amazing. And my son, Oren, has just finished filming with him. Really? And Oren's eleven, and that's really weird to me. He's beaten <laughs> both of us now. I know. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'll let him stay there for as long as I have. Um, he is he is amazing. Caffo is really special, and he had a good team of people on that. We, we really had, and we all became really good mates. I mean, yeah. we used to love working together. I mean, sometimes you weren't involved in certain certain kind of uh, wedding scenes or or bar scenes. You're a bit gutted because you knew seven or eight of the gang was there and you weren't, and you're like, "Where am I hiding?" Emma was hiding for a long time, <laughs> hiding in sheds. So I didn't get to hang out with them in the, in the last year, but uh, well, I absolutely loved making it. Yeah. But I was glad it finished when it did. Yeah, do you feel it had run its yeah. course? Well, I didn't feel it had it run its course. They probably could have done another one. The worry every year going back was that it might not be as good as... Yeah. I mean, we got a bit of slick slack for the fourth one, I think. All right. Um, because Stuart was amazing how he set it up. It was never meant to be after six episodes of the fourth series that people go wow yeah he was never going to end it there yeah it was always the idea was to push it on to the next series and because he was setting up so many storylines and longer arcs and longer arcs yeah but people were like they wanted more out of um but he he, he certainly um paid it off we're getting um looked down upon by Aoife, hi, Aoife Aoife Duffin. Duffin. hi we're in the middle of a podcast we're in the middle of a podcast we can keep this in <laughs> 
<laughs> wonderful Eva Duffin joining <laughs> us for guest slot yeah. on the uh, on the podcast there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it, and I do miss it. But I just I was worried that it would we we do a series, people wouldn't like it. Yeah. And then that would be kind of what it would be remembered yeah, for. I'm with and you. I think there's too many shows. Like I mean, I used to love Shameless. Yeah. And I felt like that just went on for too long, and it just yeah. turned into a bit of a disaster. Yeah, go while the going's good. Yeah. Um, we talked about Kaffer there, and what he's like as a director. What do you look for in a director? When do you feel like things are working well for you with the director? What kind of? A, when do you know if the relationship is right? Well, you, certainly, if they have trust in you, and they kind of. You want a bit of free reign in certain things, but you also want you also want to be told that shit that shit by a director because actors lose the run of themselves sometimes, yeah. and and we think we know it all, um, but a good director will nip it in the bud when he thinks and and also let you give give you an opportunity to do another take if if you don't feel it's right for you and and even if they don't use that, if yeah. you go away feeling good about going into the next scene and um. I don't really look for anything I just want to get on with people actually yeah. you, I mean that's the big thing for me if I get on with a director on set that's just brilliant and I, I've been really lucky actually that I, I, out of all the things I've done maybe not get on with maybe one or two people yeah that's not bad. Now it helps that you're a nice fella to begin with, though. Do you know what I mean? I'm sound. <laughs> I'm really, really <laughs> cool. No, but like you're, like you know that thing. Like you're not a bollocks, and so it, I think that kind of attracts people who aren't bollockses too. I think. Yeah, I, anyway. yeah, I think so. I think so. Because um, yeah, we've all met a few people who are just awkward, and I never really understand why they are like that. Um, bit of self awareness and uh, all that. Never lose anybody. After a few jobs. But uh, no, I, I love, I, like I said, I love the process. I love having a laugh in, in, in rehearsal rooms and, and on set. And, and as long as you can do the work or, or you having a laugh doesn't get in the way of that, then yeah. directors normally love having, having someone, you know, take the piss around because it lightens the room. Yeah, that's, man, that's necessary. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you found yourself finding a lot of free stuff coming your way. Did you become particularly good at knocking the maximum amount of crack out of this business, do you think? Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. I mean, like, some of it comes at a cost, though. I mean, sometimes you're, sometimes you go, do I really want that? That's about me doing something really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did listen, but like, that's what happens when you become part of something so big yeah. is that everybody wants a piece of you. The thing is that you're getting stuff for free, but they're not. It's not, you know. They're, I'm getting something free out of it, but I'm actually working for it, yeah. really. And so if they're not getting it for me for free, they're paying someone a fortune. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So. Yeah. Um, but I think you, I think you're, it feels to me like your approach is to make sure that we're having a good time around working as well. Like When it's time to work, fucking work. Yeah. But also then, when it's time to let the hair down, have the crack around it too. For sure. I mean, and anyone will tell you who, who, who I work with, I mean, I'm such a messer. I can't help it. I can't help it. I, <laughs> I did like I, sometimes I take things too far. I uh, I when I, we were doing the night alive with Adrian Dunbar, the kind of McPherson play. Um, I took Adri Adrian. We were finished on a Friday, and I took Adrian said he was going home to do some lines, and I thought if I take just one page out of where he's at, oh, it might asshole. just it might just mess with his head. And and someone said this to me. I think it was someone like Ian Lloyd Anderson says. You're the maddest person ever because you you, you you play pranks that you never get to see the results of. <laughs> you never get to get the enjoyment out of it? Yeah, so I do know that I've done it, but I never get to see the payoff. 
But I did, so, so I took his page at the time and he came in at the weekend, he's gone. I see, I heard him, I heard him talking to someone going, yeah, I was going through a lines and I don't know if I'm missing a page because, <laughs> and I was just giggling in the corner. Um, he got, he actually got a bit annoyed at me over that. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine why. But then, but then that makes me want to do it more. Right, The okay. more I annoy people. <laughs> But I do, I, so I am a bit of, uh, you know, I love doing it. I do love doing it. I am having the crack. Yeah. And look, there's a lot to be said for it. It's a hard enough business at yeah. the best of times. If you can't have a bit of crack with it. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to talk to you about the gang. I don't know if everyone knows about the gang, but there is a gang of you guys of, there's you, there's Mr. Gleason, there's Paul Reed, there's Mr. Huberman. Is there anyone else in that cool? Oh, there's Tiger. I can't forget the main man, Tiger. <laughs> Tiger Murphy's in there too. You guys are thick as thieves. Yeah, we are. Um, how important is it to have a support structure like that around you to keep you sane in this business? Ah, amazing. I mean, we're all actors are quite friendly with each other, but I, d I don't really have mates like them that in the business. Yeah. They're like properly, they're my mates, really are really close. We all met on um, Stephen Bradley's um, Boy Eats Girl. Yes, indeed. And we had another great time filming that and we've been best mates since and actually I'd known um, Donald a bit before that and um, yeah we're, we're all really good mates and it's really great that you know whether it be doing it, helping each other with a self tape or advice and stuff in the business and, and but it's also important that we meet up to not talk about it yeah and we don't a lot of the time yeah Um, it's obviously getting harder now to meet up with them because one of them decided he wants to be a proper movie star. <laughs> um, no, I mean, Donald's so busy, and Tyg's always busy. Yeah. Paul's in London, but b equally as busy, and Mark, I mean, we're all busy, which is brilliant. It's a good complaint. Um, because it'd be really weird if only two of us were working in three, weren't, you know? Yeah. Um, and we're, always, we're, we're really lucky as a five that we, uh, we all kind of do equal work. Is it a thing that between the lot is that if you know, if one or two is having a really good run and maybe it's quiet for the others, then that's fine because the next month it'll be you guys on a really yeah. good run and then the other guys being yeah. quiet in between. It's always like that. And actually we always find time to to meet up and and to just like I said, not talk about work and um and if one is doing a show in London or we'll always go visit and yeah. um it is, yeah. I always worried about that, though. I remember at one point I was working laws and one of us wasn't, and I just was worried that, ah, uh, I was like, can we still be friends, actually? Because yeah. you don't want to be harping on about work, or sometimes we, we love moaning about working when we haven't worked in so long. Um, and so you have to be careful of that stuff as well when people have been, you know, one of them hasn't been working for quite a while. Or At the risk of landing anybody in jail, are there any stories you're allowed to reveal of the shenanigans that goes on with you guys? Anything that's fit for broadcast? With us? We, listen, uh, no, I could never tell you on this. <laughs> I mean, but that's like any group of lads. Uh, was there a kidnap attempt? There was a kidnap attempt. Actually, no, there was a successful kidnap attempt. <laughs> we didn't just fucking attempt there was, we did, Yeah, we didn't attempt it, we actually did. Mark, um, Mark, Mark was so busy, we could never get Mark away with us for some reason, he was always busy. And uh, we found a gap um, that we knew he wasn't working. Um, and Donald was working in London, and right. we were all going to go visit him. And so I asked Mark if he'd help me with a self-tape. Right, and which would be normal enough. Yes, so we said we'll try and keep it as normal as possible, um, just to not raise any um, eyebrows. Um, 
and so Mark was helping me with a tape and the lads um, Toig and Paul burst into Mark's house balaclavas and uh, Mark I've never seen blood drain <laughs> from a man's face as quick in my life um, I mean the, even the scene that I'd done that, that he was helping me audition was a scene that Donald and the lads had written it was the worst I'm sure Mark was going, I hope he doesn't get this job. It's absolutely shite. There's an attention to detail in that that's quite <laughs> yeah. remarkable. That in itself was a little a little movie. Um, anyway, we kidnapped him. We threw him in the car. He, I mean, he knew it was the lads after a while. After about two minutes. But, uh, <laughs> we got in the car um, and we went to the airport and we all went to Brighton and had an amazing few days. Dead. I love it. And, and it was well needed. We hadn't been together in a while and... Um, it was amazing. So cool. Um, we've talked an awful lot about film stuff because film and TV has been a massive part of your career. But equally, we're sitting in the National Theatre, you're playing Translations, the greatest play of all time, on the biggest, one of the most famous stages in the world. Clearly theatre, as much as bad theatre might be born sometimes, clearly you're pretty fucking good at it. I, I, listen, I told you, I love doing it. I, I genuinely love doing it. And, um, and I've worked with some incredible people in theatre. And yeah, this is pretty special. I mean, as for people listening, we're currently sitting in a dressing room looking out at all the other dressing rooms because it's in a square, um, like a courtyard. And there's some amazing traditions here and some amazing people have c come through this building and, and still um, do so. And so to be playing here with an Irish play that's sold out since it was announced yeah. to five-star reviews from The Guardian pretty special actually yeah and that is something that, that you can like I, I've, I always have a few boxes that um, I take off and this is um, certainly one of them do you in as much as possible try and mix it up between doing stuff for screen and stuff for theatre or do you feel like you need to come back to theatre every so often or do you just take what's going a lot of the time you take what's going and people tell you I like to do this and the, but sometimes it's you know work can be slow so you're like whatever comes but no at the same time I don't do I remember doing a play before um, at the Abbey that I should have never been in. Right. I should have never been cast in it. Um, and I hated it. And I hated it after first day of rehearsals. And I said I'd never make that um, mistake again. I'd never do a play that I didn't want to do. Yeah. And, and so everything I do now, no matter whether I need the money or not, I'll never do it. So every play I do now, it's because I want to be in it and I want to work with the people in it. And so I always have a good time. Yeah. Keeps it the same, I suppose. Um, so, um, yeah, like I said, working here is it's really, really special. Um, but at the same time, like the end of most runs, I get a bit tired of theatre for sure. Yeah. Um, and so I do like to take big breaks in between. And I very rarely go from um, play to play. I never do back to back. And, and I, ha I get asked quite a bit, but I just I love yeah. getting my evenings back. I yeah. just, you know, I miss cooking and having a glass of wine and um, getting old now I'm went from talking about a 14 year old wrecking the place <laughs> to a man cooking and but, and for when you're away here either here for a long run in London or shooting on location you know we've talked about the kids how tricky is it as a dad to be away is that hard or do you just is it just nature of the beast and everyone else's dad's doing what they have to do they do and it is nature of the beast but I, it is hard I miss them loads like Jesus I mean thank God for Skype and yeah. FaceTime and whatever else um, but they 
it's it's it gets harder like it as the kid. I mean, it's hard when the kids are young, but when they get to an age where you have to constantly say goodbye, it's that's hard. And the whole rep system here, which means we're in now every few weeks, it's saying goodbye to each to them like weekly. It's it's tough. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's tough when your four-year-old is crying, saying, "Please, Dad, I don't go." Yeah. <laughs> you're bawling your eyes out going to the airport. Um, it is tough. It'll always be tough. But uh, you know, some gigs are different. Where you, uh, whether it be film or TV, where you, you can drag them out to you because yeah. you know budgets are friendly and theatres just not like that. So um, it's hard, but that's just the way it is. That goes for most people in any industry, whether it be you know working nine to five and getting home to pick their kids up from crash and, yeah, and throw them the bed there, and throw them yeah. the bed and seeing them up just weekends. So I get to actually spend. An incredible amount of time with them that I, I should consider myself lucky and not be sitting here moaning about it. So yeah, I love it. Um, finally, then, as you look ahead, are there things that you have a burning passion to go and do? Are there things like roles you particularly want to play, or is there anything that, that, that there's burning in front of you that you really want to do? Or are you happy enough to roll with the punches and see what happens? Yeah, roll with the punch. I never, I never wanted to do any particular play. I never wanted to make any style of films. I just want to keep working. Yeah. Good people, and and have the crack <laughs> while doing it, um, and honestly, that's just to just to keep working. I just want to keep working and making money. <laughs> it's a lot to be said for Matt Killen, thank you so much. In between your final two shows at the National, for taking time to chat to me, that's much appreciated, man. No problem. You're thank a superstar. You, thank you. So there you have it, the great Lark Kinlan, a guy I'm a massive fan of. I really appreciate his work ethic and his dedication to the to the gig and just getting out there and keeping it all ticking over. And and just a wonderful, wonderful actor. You think the amount of stuff he has done on screen for both TV and film, and the fact that he also has that broad uh, theatre career to go with it and a handful of Irish Times Award wins to go with it as well. He's a man who's done an awful lot and a guy who I always enjoy watching work. So look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of theatrical goings-on around the country. At the Abbey Theatre, it's Jimmy's Hall. They also have Two Pints, directed by Katrina McLaughlin, and Frankenstein with Louis Lovett. At the Gate Theatre, it is The Snapper, which is now completely sold out, I believe, except for a handful of tickets for some of the matinee performances that they've just added. Uh, So do get in touch with Box Office there see if you can get your hands on some of those tickets. At the Gaiety Theatre, it is Riverdance, and over the board, gosh, it is wicked. At Smock Alley Theatre, they have their production of The Chakron continuing, which I'm hearing only amazingly good things about. They also have Comedy of Errors from DYT, and also, I'm Too Fat for this show, the great Kate Huffman bringing her internationally sold-out tour, finally bringing it to Dublin, which I am absolutely dying to see. I've heard incredible things about that. Apparently, it is absolutely hilarious, so I'll be going in there this week to catch that show at the Viking Theatre in Clontarf it's My Real Life starring Don Witcherly Bewley's Cafe Theatre has Roman Fever starring the great Karen Ardiff at the Everyman in Cork it's the Lonesome West starring Gus McDonough out west at the Town Hall in Galway what good is looking well when you're rotten on the inside by the brilliant Emma O'Grady and then they'll also have Ashling coming up and at the Lyric Theatre in Belfast it's uh, In the Window and The Snail and the Whale so look that is us that is episode 41 would you believe in the books we will of course be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers but in the meantime this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Og McAnally I'm Angus Og McAnally we'll see you next week (laughs) 